Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Open your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. We've been together since October, November, December, January. This um, this uh, book is three chapters long. And by the end of this month, we will finish it. It will have taken us four months to have gotten through it. I look forward to um, our long studies and long books. Uh, my, my goal, though, was when David said he was starting Titus on Sunday morning and his class was to finish before he got finished, because I knew if I was still doing Titus and he was finished, uh, we would have been in it for a long time. So... Titus chapter 3. How many of you, how many of you like watching TV? Some of you. Do you remember a show that came out a handful of years ago? It was kind of a post 9-11 show called Person of Interest. Did any of you watch Person of Interest? I love that show and, and thanks to streaming services I still get to watch, go back and watch episodes of it. But it was a, a show about um, a a government system that was able to watch and detect terrorism. And uh, it, was, it was a really neat show about this guy that created it, and he used it to uh, find what well, he called irrelevant people who were either going to do some type of harm to someone uh, or something bad was going to happen to them. And the, the whole premise of the show was, you know, they had to follow that person around to figure out if they were a good guy or a bad guy, if they needed to stop them or save them. And it was just a really neat kind of technology show and post, you know, the, the post-terrorism, you know, feel and vibe is, is very much in it. But the opening credits of this show start with these words, you are being watched. You are being watched. And that, you know, when you hear the guy that, that, that plays Harold, he has a real kind of creepy voice anyway, you know. And, and so when, when you hear those words, you are being watched, it's kind of uneasy. It's kind of weird to think about. Um, and he goes on and talks about this government system. They watch your every move, this and that. He goes, how do I know? Because I created it. And it kind of made you wonder as you kind of, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I've got two devices in front of me tonight that both have cameras on them. Many of you are carrying devices with you and looking at them right now. Hopefully you're on the Bible app or making fun of me on Facebook, one of the two. Uh, you're doing something that's got cameras on it. You know, the idea of we're being watched in our privacy, that's a real kind of discussion, you know, on a, on a very kind of personal level and, and, and even government level at times. But I want you to, to, to back out of that mindset for a second and think about this. As Christians... You are being watched. As Christians, you are being watched. That should have some powerful implications in our lives, shouldn't it? That every day, regardless of what we're doing, regardless of what's going on around us, when we react to things, when we respond to things, the way we talk to people, the way we interact with people, we are being watched. And because of that, because of that, Paul writes this letter to Titus, and there is a running theme, and then I want you to, 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 to just follow with me. Follow with me if you want to. Titus chapter 1 uh, and verse 16. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. 
He says, they claim to know God, but their act, but through their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You remember that phrase, doing good, that we talked about at the very beginning of this? We're going to just touch on those really quick. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, in verse 7. He says, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. Verse 14, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from a wicked, uh, from a wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. Go to chapter three. This is where we'll be tonight. But chapter three and verse eight, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And in 14, he wraps up this letter with that idea of doing good. He is trying to get Titus to understand something here, not for Titus's own benefit, but for the benefit of the church there that he is trying to work with and create. And he's saying, you are full, you are in an island full of people who, who practice paganism, full of people who don't follow God, who don't understand the Word of God, who, who, who maybe struggle with doing what is good. And he says, if you're going to make a difference where you are, the way you make a difference, first and foremost, is not in what you say, but in what you do. You set yourself apart by being someone that consistently in every situation does what is good. That that is the person that you are. And so as Paul is wrapping up this letter, as Paul is wrapping up his thoughts, he starts in verse 1 of chapter 3. Remind the people. Remind them. You know, we've been talking about all these things. You need to remind them to do good. And so what he's going to do, and this is something Paul does at the end of a lot of his letters, he kind of comes through and he's talked about maybe a lot of doctrinal things in the early parts, but now he's going to hit his bullet points. These are my favorite passages of Paul's. These bullet points of just bang, 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 bang. They preach real well. They teach real well. It's easy. You know, Christianity is not about lists per se, but Paul a lot of times breaks things down in lists because sometimes they're easier to digest. So he begins and he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards any or everyone. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, rather, I'm sorry, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing 
what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And to that I say, Amen. So let's, let's break down some of these points very quickly that he talks about. The first thing he says tonight is the first area that we need to be good in is being good citizens. Being good citizens. Here's what he says in verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. We live in a challenging culture when it comes to our government, don't we? I think that, I think that we could all probably admit that we, we look at our, at least our federal government at times, and, and we have maybe a little bit of concern about direction and, um, the, the purpose of why they are there. You know, our country is built on this great premise of representation. Of you have an individual that represents the good of, of, of a certain group of people, of a certain place, certain state, certain regions, and their job is supposed to be doing what they feel is best for that group of people. Have you been in, have you ever been in situations in the last few years where you feel that our government doesn't really care about what's best for us, but maybe they just care what's best for them? You know, it's a struggle. And I'm not saying our government is all bad, but I think as Christians there are times that it's easy to get frustrated with the way that our government acts and with the way our government responds to things and the values that they tend to uphold and the values that we wish they would uphold. But despite those difficulties, despite those difficulties, Paul begins this section of passage and he says, those government officials, you need to respect them. You need to be subject to them. And I'm going to be honest with you. Let me, let me maybe get a little more personal with you. I decided long ago, this is Matthew. A lot of people feel differently about this. I, I don't pay attention to politics and things very, very closely. Uh, I very much have adopted the idea that my citizenship is not of this world and this world is not my home. I've got greater things to worry about in the kingdom of God than to worry about our president and, and, and other people. And so even though I kind of, I kind of in the background pay attention to what's going on, it, it's not my focus. And I know for some people it is. But over the last few weeks, over the last few weeks or over the last couple of months, we've been going through the impeachment process of our president. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I have seen Christians post things on social media about our officials, about our rulers and those of authority that are just downright unchristian. They're just downright unchristian. And Paul says here, you need to remind people to be subject to them, to their rule, to their authority, to be obedient. And he tags that with do whatever is what? Do whatever is good. Because you see, when people see you getting in a negative place about our government, they look at you and they think he's no different than anybody else. She's no different than anybody else. The way we respond to our elected officials should be first and foremost in a Christian way. 
Now you may be thinking, well, Matthew, uh, it's never been this bad. Paul wasn't dealing with the same type of government that we're dealing with. You're right. Paul is dealing with a government, with a, with a leader of Rome who set himself in the place of God. He, he, he was, in his mind, that powerful and had that much control. And he says, even though you disagree with those things, even though you disagree with maybe the way they handle things, unless they command you to do something that's just blatantly against the command of God, he says, you be subject to them and do what is good. So as we think about being a citizen in our country, even though I look at it and very much say, hey, my citizenship is not of this earth, as I have traveled outside of our country at times, I am a proud American. And I, I think we live in a great country. But we do ourselves no favors as Christians when we do not act with sub, sub, being subject to those who are, who are rulers over us. And... and you know, it's it's challenging to talk politics and to talk church sometimes. But Paul starts there. And he says, be a good citizen. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. That's, that's the word of Jesus. But be good citizens. Do what is good so that your influence, so that your influence won't be hindered. Let's keep going. He goes on. At first he talks about being a good citizen. Then in verse 2, he talks about being a good neighbor. He says, um, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. This is one of those bullet point verses, one of those that I love. First he says, he says, slander no one. Okay, don't, don't curse other people. Don't, don't treat them with contempt. Don't sit around and talk about, well, did you hear oh so and so the other day? Did you see what he did? I can't believe what so and so did. Oh, you know, don't talk bad about people, especially, especially when they're not around. I've learned in my life and, 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 and have even been guilty of it. You very rarely slander people when they're in front of you, don't you? When do you usually do it? When they're not around. We have to be careful about that. Don't slander anyone. And then he says, be peaceable. Be peaceable. Be peacemakers. We are neither to be offensive nor argumentative in our speech and in our behavior. Um, and in any situation, in any situation, we need to be willing to be the peacemaker. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, and I think this is a hard passage for us to live, an easy passage for us to read and say, but he says, as far as it depends on you, be or live at peace with all men. Even if it's not your fault. Even if you're in a situation and there's conflict and the conflict's not necessarily your fault. And regardless of the situation, Conflict's usually the other person's fault anyway, right? And I think that's why Paul writes this, because we always think they're in the wrong. If we're having conflict, I'm right, they're wrong. Anybody good at admitting your own faults and when, when, when you're, when you're wrong, you know, not many of us are. And I think that's why he says this. As far as it depends on you, you do whatever it takes to bring peace to a situation. I was talking with a good friend a couple of years ago, they were having conflict in their church over what honestly, honestly was maybe not a wrong decision, okay? It wasn't wrong what they did, but considering the circumstances, it was not the best decision. Does that make sense? 
It wasn't wrong what they did, but it wasn't the best decision that they could have made. And it caused a lot of conflict within the church that they were attending them and, and the group of people that were involved in this. And, and I called and talked to, to this friend uh, at one point during all of this just to give him a chance to talk and, and, and get some things off his chest. And he goes, I need some advice. I said, my advice is always be part of the solution. Bring peace. Always be part of a solution to a problem, not part of the problem. And I think that's what Paul means here when he says be peaceable. Then he says to be considerate, to be fair, to be patient with other people. Maybe not always being about the letter of the law, but maybe the spirit of the law, giving people room to grow, having heart towards other people. And then, depending on your translation, he ends this statement with being gentle towards everyone or with true humility to all men. Being kind in your response. But I love the phrase, all men. Because to me, that means regardless of race, regardless of religion or lack thereof, regardless of political leanings, regardless of economic status, salary, any of those things, it is our job to be gentle towards everybody. And if we practice those four things, our light will shine so bright everywhere, everywhere that we go. Now he's going to kind of shift gears and talk about this is how you should live, and now let me explain to you why. This is how you should live, and now let me explain to you why. He starts in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish. Now, I love the way he starts this statement. Because he could have started this statement, Titus, hey, remind them, at one time, they were foolish and had problems and struggled with things. But how does he group himself in this statement? He groups himself as someone who had struggled. He groups himself with the sinners, Paul does. He says, at one time, we too, he says, I had this problem. He said, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We talked about this last Sunday, about the idea that sometimes we need, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we need to be reminded of where we came from in our faith. That at one time, we were not this Christian who was living a holy life. That we had struggles. We had, we were probably living in a direction that was leading us closer to hell than closer to heaven. And Paul wraps himself up in this and says, look, I was part of this too. This great apostle who writes so much of our New Testament, whose job, whose sole mission was to reach Gentiles, non-Jews, Gentiles like you and I. We're still reading his letters to this day. And he said, I used to have these problems. And to me that's so important to realize because it tells me, it tells me that as a child of God, and we talked about this even a little this morning, as a child of God, I don't accomplish holiness on my own. If anybody could have accomplished holiness based on what they did, it would have been me and men like Paul and Peter and James and Matthew, Mark and Luke. These men who wrote these great books of the Bible. Paul says, on my own, I was nothing. Let's keep going. He says, 
We lived in malice and envy. Now, p- pay attention to this. Being hated and hating one another. Being hated and hating one another. Now that caught my attention as I was sitting down and studying this because what it shows to me is the vicious cycle of hate and hard feelings. If someone hates you, regardless of how much you're supposed to love them, if someone just hates you and they're mean to you all the time and they're hateful to you when you have interaction with them, eventually, how are you going to feel about them? You may not hate them, but that love's going to struggle, isn't it? And I think what you see from this passage is hate leads to what? Hate. And it leads to hate. If you hate someone, eventually you could wear them down to where they hate you. And you find yourself in this vicious cycle of just hating on each other. Being part of the problem, not part of the solution. And and these are the ways that we're not to be living. He says, but... But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, this echoes the words that He used last week, that we read last week about Christ bursting onto the scene like a superhero. Remember that idea that we talked about last week? That this is grace appearing through Christ. See, anytime you see all of this, you used to be this, you used to be this, you used to be this, and you see but, that but's there because of grace. It's there because of mercy. It's not there because of anything you've done. It's there because of what Christ has done. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. You know, works are important. Works are valuable works are are a staple in our walk with God. But our works are there to show that we understand the power of the mercy and the grace of God. And when we understand that, it will push us, it will motivate us, it will convict us to do greater things in the kingdom of God. Because He saved us. Look what He says. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase because it echoes back to the story of Nicodemus, doesn't it? It echoes back to the story of Nicodemus. Those are some of the same words that Jesus used as He was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking what all of this was about. He says, look, unless you were born again, you can't be part of the kingdom. But you have to be reborn. You have to you know, be washed and reborn. And and he didn't understand that. He really struggled with the idea of being washed in the Spirit. And Paul echoes back to that idea. It says, Whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You know, we talk a lot about going to heaven. And, and, I, and listen, I, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. It, it's an exciting thing to talk about. But the only reason that we have a chance, the only reason that we have that option is because of what our Savior has done, because of the grace that He showed us. And He says, He says He did that so that we might become heirs. 
so that we might inherit this great thing from God. And then he ends. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. A little bit of homework for you. Through the books of 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, I want you to figure out between now and next week how many times Paul uses the phrase trustworthy saying. Because what Paul does is as he writes, he, it's almost like he creates some, some benchmarks along the way of, I've talked about all these things. Now, let me kind of boil it down to, to a point that you understand. Something that's easier to grab onto and hold onto. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who believe or those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to do what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He boils it all back down. He says, this trustworthy saying is what you need to remember. You need to do good. You need to do good. And he says, stress it and talk to them about it, and study with them about it, and encourage them in it. And that's what I want to do with you tonight. I want you to hear that. Do good. I need to do good. Say that with me. I need to do good. Say it one more time. I need to do good. That is what we need to be worrying about. That is what we need to be stressing. You see, we live in a, in a world now, we live in a world now where... and. And, and, and I want to sh- tell some of you tonight a, a very big thank you. Because I had a handful of people come up to me this morning uh, as the day went on and they talked about how they had invited people to be with us this morning and they just wouldn't, they, they, they just decided not to come or, or they had a reason not to come. You know, inviting people to come to church, that's, that's almost foreign to our culture today, isn't it? It really is. It's, it's a lot more challenging than it was 20 years ago to get people to come and visit with you. And, and to some degree, I understand that. To some degree, I understand that coming and visiting a church when you're not really plugged in anywhere or haven't been part of a church for a while, it can be intimidating to walk into this room and see a bunch of people that know each other, but you're not really known. In a small town, it's a little bit different. Because in a small town, you're, you pretty well know someone everywhere you go. But in today's world, in today's world, you're not going to save someone with a sermon. You're not going to convince them of the Christian walk by a Bible tract. No, you're going to convince them by them seeing you do good. And I say today's culture and today's world, It's not just us. It's not just where we are. It's where Titus was as well. It's where the Christians on this island were, that they had people, that the only way they were ever going to reach them was by the life that they lived. Living before a watchful world. Remember, it's impossible to convince anyone of truth you're not living. And I think that's what Paul's wanting these people to understand. That if you want to convict people of forgiveness, you have to be a forgiving person. If you want people to understand the love of God, you have to be a person that loves with the love of God. So let's be a church whose focus is to simply do good. And if we can sell people on that, I truly believe 
that we'll never be able to build a building big enough. And why do I believe that? Because Paul says as much. Let's be a church that does good. Let's close in, in a word of prayer. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we've had in this room to worship, to study God, to grow closer to each other. We thank you for our time of fellowship today. God, I'm so grateful for those who maybe stepped out of their comfort zone and, and invited uh, friends and co-workers to be with us today. God, you know, doing good does not always mean that people respond to it, but you see our works and you appreciate our works. And we do those things because we appreciate what you have done for us. Help us to have a greater understanding of that grace and the way that that should motivate us to do good. We thank you for this time, God. May we never take it for granted. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. There is a God. He is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.